This is a very tactical message we're going to be working through today. Um, and so I'm going to kind of do it at a th- like a 70,000 foot view, not even 30,000 foot view, because this is just such a massive, <clears throat> massive conversation and a massive subject matter uh, found within scripture. But hopefully this just whets your appetite a little bit and you can go back and, and study this thing on your own. I also want to, um, I want to say this as well. There's some of us who are in the room today and this is your first time at church. And I wanna first and foremost applaud you for coming in today. So I'm glad that you are here. Um, <clears throat> you would potentially describe yourself as somebody who is not a Christ follower. You're kicking the tires on faith. You're trying to figure out this Jesus thing. Um, <clears throat> and so I would have just let you know today that in any given message, I will speak directly at those of us who are maybe kicking the tires on faith and really work to like bring you along in the journey and help it be like uh, understanding and things like that. But I wanna tell you today's message is very much pointed at those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus because of the subject matter. So here's what I'm gonna say to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're kicking the tires on faith. I just hope and pray that you can experience the presence of God today and that your mind and your heart would be open today. And maybe, just maybe, by the time we get to the end of this service, after hearing what it is that we're gonna hear together today from the Bible, you might actually just say, man, I wanna give my life to Jesus and do this thing. And that's my hope for you today. But for the rest of us, I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you are um, uh, challenged by this message today, and I really hope it awakens something inside all of us. Does that sound good? And as always, uh, preach back at the preacher. Uh, The louder you say amen, the faster I will go. Um, That's actually not true. The more that you preach at me, the longer I go. Um, So, but yeah, let's lean in today. Uh, Acts chapter two, verses 14 to 18 says this. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, follow Jesus. Fellow, or excuse me, fellow. Yeah, follow, do that. Um, Message end, done. Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. And what Peter is clarifying is that this was the, uh, just right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had descended in the upper room and people were uh, praying and speaking out loud in what the Bible would describe as other tongues. And so he's like, just so you know, uh, this isn't wild and crazy and these people aren't drunk. It's too early for that. That's That's what he's saying. Um, on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So now Peter's gonna, <clears throat> he's gonna reiterate a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament that especially the Jewish people standing around watching this moment, they would have they understand as he's bringing attention to this Old Testament prophecy. And this is what he says, and it will be in the last days, says God that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they shall prophesy. Notice how Peter is highlighting Joel's statement on this issue of the spirit of God being poured out on all people. Someone shout poured out. out. Come on, everybody shout poured out. out. Come on, both auditoriums shout poured out. And so I wanna focus in on the pouring out of the Spirit today. So as we continue on in our series, Tethered, I wanna speak to you from this subject, spiritual gifts, dances, dodgeball, and where the dandelion lands. As we look at the doctrine of spiritual gifts and what they mean for our lives and faith, will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. It is a good word. It's a true word. 
and it's so needed for our lives. And it's your word that changes us. And so God, my prayer is this, that you would move Jason Parrish out of the way. We do not need Jason, my words. We need your word. Speak to us today, challenge us today. Renew our mind through the washing of it with your word today. And so we thank you for it. We love you, we praise you, we give you honor in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church, shouted. Amen. And the church shouted. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna highlight for us as an illustration this morning some interesting generational things that take place that have morphed over time, I believe, but how they experientially applied to me. Uh, the first one is this. I don't know if you remember homecoming dances or um, prom or Sadie Hawkins or any of those dances. Erica and I have known each other since ninth grade and we've been to almost every single dance of those dances together. There's a fascinating thing that takes place in, in homecoming or prom. Y'all remember like homecoming queens or homecoming queens and homecoming kings? Prom king, prom queen. Uh, I was never that. Uh, we, were, we were never that. We, we thought we were awesome in our outright, but we were never told that we were awesome by anybody else, okay? So, um, and that's kind of the function, at least in my, in my generational moment, the function of prom king and queen was two people that were set apart by everybody else, and they were brought up in front of everybody and told, out of everybody in the school, these two are the best looking, they are going to be the most successful and out of hundreds of kids, the pedigree of their lives is the best that there could possibly be, be like them. Now I could be exaggerating, that's just what my mind thought in those moments, but the prom king, prom king, a queen thing is a fascinating reality. Hold that, hold that tab open because that one is built on this idea of certain people have charisma and so therefore they're better. Y'all tracking with me? Dodgeball. I was never picked first for the dodgeball team. Uh, me presented to a, a jury of my peers. Those peers always said by way of when I was picked that I was not the best for the team. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, to be fair, uh, anything with a ball, I was not picked. <laughs> first for the team. And so dodgeball moments, basketball moments, football, like even pick up flag football uh, moments and, and, and baseball moments. I wasn't always picked first, first for the team. Everybody else was picked first. I was actually picked many times last. And, and I don't harbor bitterness or frustration towards, to, towards those people. I still do counseling, but I don't hold bitterness. <laughs> um, so the dances were built on charisma, but the, the pick on the team it was based upon talent. Y'all with me? Dandelions. My grandma in her backyard, I would come here and visit every summer and in her backyard and in her front yard, I would always remember the dandelions popping up in the, in the, in the grass. And uh, she had a faith background um, and she was trying to work that faith background out. But I remember her always grabbing me literally almost every single summer and she would grab a dandelion, she'd put it into my hand and she'd say, Jason, if you blow on this dandelion and make a wish, whatever you want will come true. You guys remember moments like that? Maybe it wasn't a dandelion, it was a genie in a bottle type of thing, or we have these weird things that we do as people blow out a candle, make a wish, and it'll happen. But I remember her uh, doing that. She'd blow the dandelion and, and then all the dandelions would go off into the wind. And that was built out of this place of mysticism and, and fatalism in some ways. 
whether she actually believed it or not, how many of you would acknowledge today that much of our development as people are based on some of those things? We have this mystical idea that if I pray, if I hope hard enough, if I faith hard enough, if, I, if I'm spiritual enough about things, God will just give me something. And so we have charisma, we have talent, and then we have mysticism and, and fatalism all mixed into this space that presumably develops who we are out of it. And this is how many of us approach our faith life, especially when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts. See, the subject of spiritual gifts has always been a subject that captivates people, especially as we grow in our development and discipleship. The problem is understanding spiritual gifts versus simply trying to spiritualize our talents. And what has happened, especially in the context of the American church, is that we have spiritualized our talents and haven't taught people to discover their spiritual gifts in line with that, is, that has been presented to us within the framework of scripture. So played out a bit, we've taken people who are talented at speaking and made them pastors, even though they're not necessarily graced to lead and shepherd a church. We've taken somebody who's talented at singing and put them up on a stage and gave them a microphone, hoping that their talent would override the fact that they're not actually anointed for it. Am I meddling already with some stuff? We've taken educated people in scripture and made them shepherds, even though they're not graced to do so. We've said that you have a head full of knowledge about the Bible and we put people in leadership positions, but their life is not actually submitted to the scripture that they know. Wow. We've ignored things like hospitality, mercy, giving, and encouragement because these graces don't look prestigious like the other ones. See, within the cultural reality of our 21st century church framework, we've elevated some gifts and have undervalued the application of other gifts. This would be Paul the Apostle's point as he writes to the Corinthian church concerning gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. Hey, just so everybody knows today, are you all right with this? There's going to be a lot of scripture today, okay? Large swaths of scripture, lots of verses, okay? And he writes this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Let me, let me put it into modern day vernacular. When, when you were pagans, you used to be enticed by how many likes somebody has on Instagram. When, when, you were, when you were living outside of Jesus, you used to be enticed and enamored with the red carpet and those who wear Givenchy. You used to be enticed, those who, who became famous. You used to be enticed by the political figures. You used to be enticed because Taylor Swift is in the box, and now all of a sudden the Kansas City Chiefs are everything to everybody. <laughs> Too soon? So you were led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. And this is what he says in verse seven, a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. 
Now he's gonna continue on to write, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, listen to this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. There should be a lot of amens in this section of scripture, just so you know. If the foot, I love this. Now, Paul's a great preacher. If you haven't studied scripture before, his letters aren't just these kind of vague, ambiguous letters that are boring to be read. He is a great, great orator. He is a great preacher. And so he's gonna use an analogy now to help the Corinthian church understand what he's trying to get at. So he says this, he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. In other words, he's saying, if you were to say, I'm not this. And so I'm not a, a better part of the body or don't need to be a part of the body. Or you demean yourself. He's saying, I don't care what you say. You're a part of the body, regardless of what you think about yourself. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Yeah. If the whole body were an ear, where would the, sen where would the sense of smell be? Yeah. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body, here it is, just as he wanted. Yeah. And if they were all the same part, I love this, if they were all the same part, where would the body be? If it was just this homogenous thing where all of us were the same, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with great respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be, here it is, no division in the body, but that members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Can we say amen to scripture today? Here's the point. When we do not understand the biblical reality of spiritual gifts, we subvert them with natural talents. Therefore, thereby relying on personal power rather than Holy Spirit impartation, failing to acknowledge then the one who gave the gifts to us in the first place. And this is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, when he says this, for who makes you so superior? What do you have, I love, what do you have that you didn't receive? In fact, you did receive it. So why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? In other words, he's saying, why do you take what God gave you and make yourself the focal point? Why do you take your gifts, the thing that God has given you and bestowed upon you, why do you move it to a place to put you into a better light rather than to show God as who God is for your life? Because if we are honest today, and if I am honest today, I am nothing without God's grace in my life. Now that's not a broken, disheveled way to look at myself. I've got some natural talents, not dance, it's not dodgeball. I've got other natural talents, but how many of you know there is a difference between operating in a natural talent and a gift that God has anointed you with? 
So understanding spiritual gifts is necessary for the believer's life and for the development and building up of the local church. As Charles Caldwell wrote in his book, Basic Theology, a popular systematic guide to understanding biblical truth, he writes this, the spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. Y'all with me still? So further into Caldwell's writing, he would provide what I have found to be a very helpful list comparing and contrasting natural talent versus spiritual gifts. Now, remember this subject today is at the 70,000 foot view. There's a lot of digging you can go into. I'm kind of wetting our appetite for this, but check this out. We've got a list that we're gonna throw up on screen. Natural talents versus spiritual gifts. Natural talents are given by God through our parents. In other words, our family of origin has bestowed upon us DNA. Y'all get what I'm saying? Your eyes are blue, your eyes are green, your eyes are whatever, because you got it from your mama and your daddy. Your hair is brown, your hair is blonde, because you got it from, y'all see what I'm talking about? So these are important things. So he's, what we're also seeing, at least from a scriptural understanding, is that natural talents are given by God because he's made you through our parents though. They're given at birth and they are to benefit mankind generally. What God has put in you, what he's made you to be, they benefit mankind generally. And I wanna step back for just a second. This is not just what you do professionally. Can I just say this today, free somebody up? You are not defined by your profession. Okay? You are not defined by your occupation. That should be good news for some of us today. So that's natural talent. (laughs) Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are given by God, check this out, independent of parents. Now this is important because some of us in this room, if I can minister to you for just a second, this is important because some of you believe that you are defined by your family of origin. And I just wanna let you today that no matter what is in your background because your family of origin, God has a better plan and a bigger purpose for you. And there is not one person, come on somebody that can stand against that. It doesn't matter if your dad was an alcoholic, you don't have to be. It doesn't matter whether your mom didn't do that thing, you don't have to do it. It doesn't matter what was done to you as a kid, it does not have to define you now because God gave you some stuff independent of your family. Spiritual gifts are evidently, when I use the term evidently, and this author uses the term evidently, it's what we are seeing defined by scripture when it comes to spiritual gifts. Evidently, they are given at conversion. In other words, you have natural talents that reside in you pre-conversion. But when you say yes to Jesus, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you now have certain gifts that are in line with his purpose for your life that you give glory and honor to God for. Because how many of you know everything else, when we live in wild and out, we are not giving glory to God. I'm going fast today, but stay with me. And then spiritual gifts are to benefit the body particularly. So this is the designations that we see as we explore scripture. So with all that being said, here's our statement concerning spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is in our journal today. On what page? Where are we at? What page? 124. You found it already. Fantastic. 124. It's behind me somewhere. (laughs) Guys, it's right here. Um, We believe that God is sovereign in the bestowing of spiritual gifts. It is, however, the believer's responsibility to attempt to develop their sovereignly given spiritual gift or gifts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at conversion and is the placing of the believer into the body of Christ. We also believe that particular spiritual gift or gifts are neither essential, proving the presence of the Holy Spirit, nor an indication of deep spiritual 
experience. We believe that God does hear and answer the prayer of faith in accordance of his own will for the sick and afflicted. So just so you know, you stepped into a church that we believe still today, God does miracles. Okay? Five of you clapped. We'll try that one again later, apparently. We believe it is the privilege and the responsibility of every believer to minister according to the gift or gifts and grace of God given to him. These, these gifts always operate in harmony with the scriptures and should never be used in violation of biblical parameters. According to one commentary, spiritual gifts are abilities given to an individual, individual believers by the Holy Spirit in order to equip God's people for ministry both for the edification of the church and for God's salvific mission to the world. Now, from a biblical perspective, we see that the teaching of spiritual gifts is mainly a Pauline teaching, which for those of you who maybe haven't studied the Bible uh, very long, it, this is a teaching that we see in the letters from the apostle Paul. And again, it's mentioned only one other time by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. All right, I say that, so that I can be clear about this. This does not make this topic less authoritative. It just makes it specific to the letters that we have in the New Testament. But, but again, remember what, Paul, what Joel prophesied and Peter reiterated at Pentecost. So let's do the math, looking at the Bible. Um, looking at the Bible, what does the Bible say about these issues, spiritual gifts? And then we're gonna get practical as we land the plane today. today. Um, we've said this over many, many weeks now. We like to do a little bit of an academic study at, at a high view, so we kind of at least understand before we get super practical, okay? So I want us to understand that the Bible's speaking about these things, and then we start to figure out how we operate in these things. Does that sound good with everybody? Yeah. All right, so let's look at some things the Bible says about spiritual gifts. The first thing that we see that the Bible speaks about is that there are gifts according to the fivefold ministry. There are gifts according to the fivefold ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, told you long sections of scripture. They're important for context. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called with one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all, in all, through all. Amen, somebody. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself, here it is right here. He himself gave some, every shout some. some. Every shout some. some. To be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Five things. We know this as the fivefold ministry. Okay? Why? Why did he do that? Well, it tells us. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and have knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, these are gifts that we see given to some in order that, hear me, there would be leadership within the church and that leadership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It was not given so some stood higher than others and were perceived to be better than others. Let me say that one more time. The fivefold ministry was not given so some were to be seen as better than others. 
and others are lower. That is not what the fivefold ministry is for. The fivefold ministry was given to some in order to give their life in many moments in full time, sometimes vocational, sometimes not vocational, ministry in order to serve the saints or the body of Christ for the working of the ministry so that the church would fulfill its mission on this planet. That means that people that carry that title or that designation, hear me unequivocally when I say this, they are not better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody. The only difference between me and you right now is I am on a three and a half foot platform and it's very practical. It's so the people in the back can see me. Some of you are like losing your mind right now because you've never heard this talk before. I don't think I'm more special because I'm standing up here. I simply think I'm on a... A, a higher floor. <laughs> That's it. And for some of you, it would get really good. Like you would be like, I'm okay if you stand on the floor. This is not raised up to lift people up. It's just simply here so people can see. Because we're just simply fulfilling a designated task. So that's the fivefold ministry within, within the church. Some were given, some were not called to that. And that's absolutely great but no one is better than the other. Here's the second thing that we see in scripture is that there's gifts of the spirit. First Corinthians 12, four through 11 says this. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them into each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Now to be very clear, I want you to hear this today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna meddle and poke a little bit. Will you give me permission to be a little cheeky this morning, okay? To be very clear, the gifts of the Spirit are different than the fruit of the Spirit. And let me say it like this. The fruit of the Spirit is needed where there is exercising of the gifts of the Spirit. Because here's what, here's what's happened so many times is we've watched people exercise the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit in operation in their life. And so the gifts of the Spirit became weapons of the Spirit. If you are a jerk, I don't care about your word of knowledge. That's why Paul would say after this list, he gets, to th- he gets to 1 Corinthians 13 and he's like, listen, I just want to let you know, it's all great that you love and are going after spiritual gifts, but if you don't love, if, if you don't have faith, there's not hope there because these are the enduring things. If you don't have love, can you all be quiet? Because you are hurting people because at the end of the day, the fruit of the spirit is more important than the gift of the spirit. And that's what Paul says. I would, I, it would be better that you are a kind person than a person who's mean but can prophesy. I'm stepping on toes this morning. Don't, don't, don't seize up on me. I would rather that you have self-control than live wild and out privately when no one is watching and then stand up and pray in great ways in front of everybody. Come on. Come on. Good. Good. 
Am I talking to anybody in church today? So over my life, I've seen so many moments where the fruit of the Spirit was not evident when there were gifts of the Spirit being exercised. And therefore, when we do not have the fruit of the Spirit in conjunction with gifts of the Spirit, we end up producing woundedness, idolatry, and confusion. So that's the gifts of the Spirit. And they're listed here. We're gonna get to a list in just a second. You'll see it, but I'm trying to kind of give us some framework to operate with. We see this, gifts of grace as well as spoken about. Romans chapter 12, verses three to eight. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, here it is, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed. Here it is, a measure of faith to each one. A measure of faith to each one. Now we have many parts in the body and, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. I always highlight the mercy one because it's very visceral for some people. Because how many of you know there are people with the gift of mercy and then there's the rest of us. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever met that person before? They're very merciful. They have a way of including people, even when the people that they're including are like just, they're, they're wild and out. They've hurt people and people don't know how to deal with them. But this is this gift of mercy. They have the ability to just go above and beyond. And then the, the, the rest of us who don't have that gift of mercy, um, we don't know how to deal with people where we have to show mercy. Now we're all called to be merciful by a degree, but this one's saying a gift of mercy. And you know, it's actually, if I can put it into a framework that I see it in people a lot, um, I see this in people who go into prison ministry. Can I be super real with you for a second in church today? Can we, can we contend with something? The reason I say that specifically about this ministry is I've met people who loved the idea of going to prison ministry until they were sitting in front of a rapist. Think about it. Because when it comes to some of these things, we get very altruistic. We wanna feel good about the things that we do. But if you don't have the gift of mercy, you're not gonna be able to sit in front of somebody who molested somebody, murdered somebody, stole. Y'all see what I'm talking about? So when I look at people who are like prison ministry and they have the ability to sit there, I'm like, good Lord, thank you for this gift. Come on. Because I'll just challenge some of us. People in prison need Jesus just as much as people out of prison. They are not a neglected people group. And they are not to be neglected regardless of the decisions that they've made. And so there's gifts of mercy. Woo, I'm up in someone's business. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce, author of Foundations of the Christian Faith, a this is, I love this title, A Comprehensive and Readable Theology. Um, <laughs> these verses teach that a certain kind of unity and a certain kind of diversity are necessary for the health of the church. Without the unity, a unity of relationship to Christ through the work of God's spirit, there is no church at all. We are still in our sins. On the other hand, without diversity, the church cannot be healthy and will certainly not function properly any more than a body without arms or legs. 
R.C. Stedman of the Peninsula Bible Church of Palo Alto, California defines a spiritual gift as this, a capacity for service, which is given to every true Christian without exception, and which was something each did not possess before he became a Christian. So let's chase that one down for a second. I believe that uh, Stedman's statement is highly supported and rooted in scripture. So let's dig into it a little bit deeper for more analysis. Y'all still with me still? All right, a few, observa- uh, few more observations about spiritual gifts. We see that a spiritual gift is given to the believer by God. A spiritual gift is given to the believer by God. In the New Testament, the word for that kind of gift is the word almost always used in speaking about them <clears throat> is the word charisma or charismata, the plural. But here's the critical thing to note because some of you are now thinking about my earlier illustration. The critical thing to note about this word is that in its Greek form, it actually means a grace. So we're not talking about a natural thing that's there because some natural talents that many of us us have and operate in are developed because of the unique context that we are in. So if you live in a certain place of the nation, okay, let's put it this way. How many of you know there are certain places in the nation that seem to pump out more musicians than others? You know what I'm saying? And so then what happens is that musicians in places, say like Utah, they want to move to other places so they can be around a certain context. So what they believe is a natural talent in their life then is, is, is brought to the surface a little bit more, is pushed out a little bit more and they have more opportunity for it. Does that make sense to everybody? But when we talk about a grace given by God, we are not talking about where the context of your life is. We are talking about a grace that God has given you when you say yes to him. This is actually where we derive the word charismatic from. Too often we view this simply as a personality trait, which outside of Christ, I believe that it is sometimes. But spiritually speaking, the gifts bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit are gifts of charis or charisma, grace. Therefore, one is said to be charismatic. How many of you have heard that term before? Show of hands, put them up. How many of you have heard this term before? Charismatic before? Okay, cool. So this is actually where we get the idea of the charismatic movement because it's based upon the gifts and the grace of God. Charismatic believer or church. We're not talking about a church that's extremely good looking. So when we think of charisma, that person, they've got a jawline and they've got smoldering good looks and their hair is perfect. And it seems they could just look at weights and all of a sudden their body is perfect. But in the, in the world, come on somebody, that's what we call charisma. They just got charisma. They know how to walk into a room a certain way. Have you ever met that person? Everybody's drawn to them. That's, that's, a, nat, that's a natural thing. But grace, something that God gives you, many times is built out in your life in such a way to draw you away from the very thing that's natural to you because it causes submission to Jesus. It's a gift of grace. It's for his good pleasure, okay? so that the church can be blessed because of it. Paul would clarify, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, not as anybody else wills. I love this thought from Sinclair Ferguson who wrote a book called The Holy Spirit. He says this, spiritual gifts reflect more about the grace of the giver than they reveal about the gracious condition of the recipient. In other words, the gifts that are given to you and I say more about who God is than it does about who you and I are. Let me say that one more time. The gifts that are given to you and I say more about who God is than it it says about who we are. 
When you are operating in a gift that God has given you, it is not about you, it is about the one who gave it to you. Those gifts are made so that we could glorify God, not glorify ourselves. Can I tell you, I'm the person that should, should not be standing up here right now. By all accounts, I am not the smartest guy. I kid you not, it takes me about 20 hours to produce the messages that I produce every single week. And that's not because they're super deep and profound. It's because I am slow on the uptake. <laughs> but here's what I've, what I've realized. My natural abilities could tell me God can't use me, but the graces of God tell me that anything is possible in the hands of Jesus. Oh, come on, is anybody thankful for a God who takes messed up people and you aren't talented, but he will do something with you? Oh, that should be good news to some of us who are like, can he use me for anything? Yes! He used a donkey. <laughs> gifts are given, here's the second thing, gifts are given post-salvation. Distinction is essential to make as it clarifies the difference between a spiritual gift and just natural talent. I love this thought by one theologian concerning this issue. Spiritual gifts are not talents for the simple reason that they are given for spiritual ends only and only to Christians. They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. I think that's an important point because of the gifts that we see listed within the New Testament. Okay, found in various letters. Check this slide out. Pull out your phones. Here it is. So these are the sections of scriptures predominantly that we see all of the gifts that are given by God to you and I to function in. Remember, we have, according to Ephesians, some, okay? But in all of these other gifts, some is apportioned as well. Portioned because of the faith that we have because of what God wants to do in and through us. And here's what I love about it all. It is sovereign. You can't change it as much as you blow dandelions into the wind. God is not a genie in the bottle that we wish upon. And if you pray hard enough and faith it hard enough, maybe he'll change his mind about something. No, God is a tactician. And he's made, you, he's made Mitch Orr right here a certain way because Mitch Orr plays a very important part yeah. in the mission that God has for this planet. Good. And for Mitch to wish for something else to be in his life and not pursue what God has put into his life would be devastating for the body of Christ. Wow. Wow. Y'all see what I'm talking about? Yeah. So Mitch, don't wish for something else. <laughs> Mitch, be Mitch. Let's go and get on with it. <laughs> But that's what some of us do. And I actually think that the church is in a detriment right now because we have a bunch of people who think that certain things are better than other things. And so you all, us all, we all are looking across the room, looking at a gift that we say is better than, and we sit stable in our place because we don't wanna get up and actually exercise what God has put inside of us. So there's all the stuff, take it home, study it out. It's a lot of fun. Number three. Every believer is apportioned with at least one gift. You got something. Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you got something. Turn back to your another neighbor and say, is it in my eye? <laughs> you got, you have, you have something. This is Paul's point as he writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. 
bringing emphasis. Finally, here's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of, here it is, the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. As these truths have been disregarded throughout church history, it's led to what John what author John Stott would describe as the clerical domination of the laity. And what that means is that we've elevated those who are in a vocational ministry spot, the fivefold ministry, and we said that they're better than everybody else and they're to do everything else. But that's actually not the way the body works. The body works so that all of us are built up for the work of the ministry. It's getting quiet in church, so let's try this again. It's what we talked about earlier. There are some who are given for this, but all of us have an apportioned gift in order to serve the body of Christ. And I want to say this because this is the thing that I know that God put on my heart to say to all of us today in every single one of us service, everybody looking at me when I say this, on behalf of Erica and I and the pastoral or five-fold ministry gift set that is a part of this church right now, will grow, so on and so forth, I just want to say this to you. We love you and it is the greatest privilege and honor in our lives to serve you. And there's not another place that I would rather be. We fundamentally see our role as service. Now I know organizationally it looks like leadership, but here's the thing that has broken my heart is that oftentimes pastors don't submit this to their church. We love you. And we will spend our life as humbly as possible, submitted to the Holy Spirit so that we could serve this beautiful body that God is building here in Sandy, Utah and beyond till Jesus comes back. I love this quote by theologian Edmund Clowney as he says this, and I'll invite the team up. The Lord has fashioned his church as an organic body. The gifts he grants are not given for their own sake. Their presence does not support pride or their absence justify envy. When the gifts are in any way, listen to this, detached from the fruit of the spirit in the service of love, they become a distracting noise, attracting attention, but accomplishing nothing. So inevitably, one must go away from the conceptual to the practical in this conversation. A big question always asked when, when this gets brought up is, how, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? What they are? How, how does this practically play out in my life? What are the next steps to discovery and maturation in this area of our lives? And I'm not gonna answer all those questions today, but I know that the questions that come up for us. And like I said, I hope today is a day where you are, your appetite is um, growing for this stuff. That's why Paul, the apostle would say in, in 1 Corinthians, he'd say, listen, desire these things. There's nothing wrong with that, but just make sure that you don't get your priorities out of whack. Every church should desire to, at the individual level and the corporate level, acknowledge and understand what those gifts are individually, but then come together collectively within unity to move the mission and the mandate of that local house forward. Y'all see what I'm talking about? And that's an important important reality. So what I wanna do for the last bit of our time together is I wanna look at just practical truths to help us answer some of these questions, not all of them. There's gonna be gray space for everybody. But to do this, these statements are gonna be personalized by using I statements, okay? 
I statements. So here's the first one. I'll leave it up long enough for you to write it down or take a picture of it. But here's the first thing that we need to understand. I need to develop a biblically informed and well-rounded view of myself. I need to develop a biblically informed and well-rounded view of myself. Romans chapter 12, verse three, I love this. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, listen to these words, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, everybody shout, think sensibly. Come on, everybody shout, think sensibly. So Paul says, I want you to think sensibly about yourself as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. See, in our modern vernacular, we might call this self-awareness. And now I know it's a pop term and a counseling term and a therapy term, but interesting, many people have created a dumb dichotomy around knowing oneself or being self-aware and they make it a bad thing. And we do it by saying things like this. I don't need to know myself. I just need to know Jesus. No, Paul just told us, you need to think sensibly about yourself. Come on, somebody. You need to be self-aware. It doesn't need to go into this great spiritual crazy land. I just need to think sensibly about myself because here's what I've understood and come to a conclusion on. If you don't know who you are in Christ and you try to exercise the gifts that you have in Christ, you will quickly turn those gifts into weapons. Let me illustrate it this way. I've got two kiddos who are moving into teenage land. One of them's already there, he's 13. I've got a 12 year old daughter, she'll be 13 and he'll turn 14. We are, we are approaching the years in which the conversation of vehicles will come into play. And I am dreading every moment of it. But here's the deal. As a dad and as a mom, Eric and I are gonna work at not trying to get them to drive. Our goal is to get them to understand the vehicle. And then the skill comes after their understanding of the vehicle. Because how many know, if he or she doesn't learn what the blinker is for, he or she is going to simply be a weapon on the street. If those two kiddos don't understand the car, the responsibility of it, they don't understand how it's made and what every little thing does in it, and they just simply know how to drive, then they are a moving weapon with no understanding of what this is. And here's the thing is a lot of us want to exercise the gifts of the spirit, but we don't want to work on our character. We wanna exercise the gift that God has for us because it looks good and it makes people like us, but at the end of the day, you don't have integrity. We wanna exercise the gift that has been given to us, but we don't wanna be consistent people. So we gotta know ourselves. I gotta know what God is doing in me. I'll say this this way. The most dangerous people I know are people who don't understand who they are. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, we have to understand ourselves if we are to operate in them. Number two, here's the second thing. I have to engage in opportunities for my gifts to be used and matured. I have to engage in opportunities for my gifts to be used and matured. First Corinthians four, one through two, a person should not think of us in this way. A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. 
In this regard, it is required, here it is, that managers be found faithful. How are you found faithful? You are found faithful when you are doing something with it. Y'all remember the parable of the talents in scripture? Remember the one who buried it in the ground? He wasn't found faithful. Why? Because he didn't use it for something. He didn't engage in the use of that thing that the master had given him. And here's what's interesting is that many of us, we wanna sit and believe that our gift will get better in use without actually engaging it. No, you gotta get in the game. Come on, you gotta, you gotta get in the game, church. We gotta step into places and spaces where this thing is being used. And I wanna say this, the church is significantly stifled when we do not engage in the use and the growth of our spiritual gifts. This is why we say around here, get involved, go to grow, get on a team. Discover what God has placed in you for the building and the edification of the body. We were not designed to just sit and be, we were designed in grace to impact and serve. If you are a student in here today, student section over here, I'm gonna just come talk to him for just a second. Student section over here. If you are a student in here today, you have spiritual gifts that the body needs. I hope and pray that God pours his oil out on this next generation. And there may be a moment where you're seeing one of these guys read scripture up here at the beginning of our service. They're giving it a go while they're singing. They're giving it a go on the guitar. They're running around serving coffee. They're running around ushering. Why? Because God is pouring out his spirit on this next generation. So if you are a teen, we need you to use your gift. Oh, they're too young. No, they are not. David was on the field with a sling and a rock and he took down the giant. Why? Because God apportioned a gift to him. If you're a young adult in here today, believe it or not, you have spiritual gifts that the body needs. We don't need you as a young adult huddled up in the corner with other 18 to 24 year olds. Oh, no, 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 no. We need you on your knees before Jesus. We need you getting involved. We need you getting engaged and being like, man, I feel like God has put this in my life. You might have leapt today when I talked about the gift of mercy. And I don't care if you're 18, 19, 20, and you're studying at the U right now, you may need to talk to somebody about getting involved with prison ministry because something left inside of you and you wanna see lives changed. If you're a young professional here today, you have spiritual gifts that the body needs. It's not just about you. If you are single here today, you have spiritual gifts that the body needs. You are not a weird appendage to the church. You are a vital part of this body. Your singleness doesn't define you. Your singleness doesn't make you. Oh, but the gift of God inside of you is great. Oh, you ain't getting with me on this church. I don't know if you are ready for this, but this is what it's about. If you are engaged or married, you have spiritual gifts that the body needs. If you have kids or don't have kids, you have a spiritual gift that the body needs. If you are middle-aged or seasoned. (laughs) You have a spiritual gift that the body needs. Oh, can I talk to the seasoned people in here today? Man. I just feel the Holy Spirit's prompting on this. Sometimes you can look around and I've had these conversations. Look at all these young people. You're like, man, what, what am I to do? Oh, if you still have breath in your lungs, you have a gift for the body. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. Yes, it may be louder. 
Yes, it may look different. Yes, it may not be exactly to our preference, but to those who are seasoned in the room today, we need your stature. You are still standing. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, you are a valued part of this body. And if you are a man or a woman, we need you. You have a gift for this body. Did I cover everybody? What am I trying to say? If you are a part of everybody, we need everybody to build up the body for the work of the ministry so we can accomplish the mission that God has called us to. Which brings me to my third point, last one. How does this happen? I have to submit to the power and the authority of Jesus. In other words, I've got to say yes to him. And there are some of us in the room today that you've yet to submit yourself to his authority, his lordship. And I would say to you today that it's time to relinquish. And it's time to say yes to Jesus because he's got something for you far beyond what you could ever hope, ask for, or imagine in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. And I wanna ask you a question today. Have you said yes to Jesus? And if you haven't, make this your prayer today. Because this is where the new journey begins. Come on, as loud as we can, would you just repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'm repenting of my sins and I'm declaring today that I'm gonna follow you to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name.